Hello, everybody. After some much-needed time off last week, we finally meet again. You are listening to the Royal Ramble. I'm your host, Blaine the Brain, and what a week it has been. In fact, what a couple of weeks it has been, including last night's UFC card. That was nuts, am I right? We'll get into that in just a little bit later on, but for now, I want to strictly focus on the wacky world of professional wrestling. Let's ramble. So I titled this week's episode, A Change Is Gonna Come, but it's apparent that several changes have already happened across promotions. Some good, some bad, some not so sure, but I'll get into all of that. Firstly, I know that New Japan's G1 Climax has been heating up, and I believe the finals were this past week, if I'm not mistaken. But admittedly, I'm not all the way caught up, so I won't focus too much on that. But some of the matches I've seen lately have been highly impressive. I've been most impressed by the performances of guys like Will Ospreay and Jonah, who has really come into his own, and I think he has finally found his place in New Japan. I feel like he didn't really fit the mold in either WWE or Impact, but Japan may be the best place for him, as they could certainly use more heavy hitters, and this guy has the potential to be another Vader or Bam Bam Bigelow. There have been several changes taking place in the WWE lately, especially now that Paul Levesque, aka Triple H, has taken over as director of creative. Johnny Ace recently made his exit from the company, but as quickly as people are leaving, others are arriving, or shall we say re-arriving. Wait, is that a word? Nevertheless, we've seen the returns of several previously released talents, including Karrion Cross and Scarlett Bordeaux, Hit Row minus Swerve Scott, who of course is now an AEW Tag Team Champion, and most recently Dexter Loomis. Of all the returns, I'd say that Cross and Scarlet have been handled the best thus far, though they are kind of in a holding pattern, it seems, until at least Clash at the Castle. With Hit Row, they kind of just picked up from where they left off, and I'm not sure if their overall status in the company has improved or not, but then again, it's only week two, so I'm sure time will tell. Of the three of them, I think the big man Top Dollar probably has the most potential at the moment, but I think they're all best used as a faction at the moment. Then you have Dexter Loomis. I've honestly never been a fan of the wrestler or the gimmick, and why someone who's supposed to be a stalker slash kidnapper slash... Okay, I'm gonna stop right there. But why is someone like that being booked as a babyface is beyond me. It is somewhat interesting how they're using him at the moment, as they're kind of blurring the lines between fiction and reality a bit, trying to make fans believe that he's invading the shows instead of actually being signed. I'm just fearful that this angle is going to have anything to do with AJ Styles, who I think should be much higher up the card. What I did like, however, is the continuity of the Index storyline as seen on NXT TV this past week. It'll be interesting to see where that goes from here. One of the major changes that I most definitely approve of is Levesque's attempt to re-establish the mid-card titles. We're seeing video packages, US and Intercontinental title main events, contenders matches, etc. I definitely look forward to seeing more of those. I am so incredibly bored though with Ronda Rousey, though I have to applaud their efforts in at least making her seem like a bigger deal on SmackDown by kind of presenting her as a female Steve Austin. Personally, I think this is how Becky Lynch should be booked, but she's going to be out of action for the foreseeable future, so who knows how she'll be positioned moving forward. And just like the last time Becky left, Bayley has stepped right up, taken that ball, and ran with it. I love her new faction and how they're positioned, and definitely looking forward to seeing where that goes. Even Riddle has a new dimension added to his character, displaying a much more serious side, and I think this will definitely benefit him moving forward, instead of just being the mid-card comedy guy. 
By the way, for those of you who may have missed SmackDown, if nothing else, you should find a way to watch that Viking funeral vignette. It was very well produced, and it actually made me care about the Viking Raiders and New Day feud, so hopefully this momentum continues to build. Raw returns to Toronto tomorrow night. Unfortunately, I will not be attending, but if there's anyone in the GTA who is going, please PM me your thoughts on the show and being there live. Already advertises the semifinals of the Women's Tag Team Tournament featuring Alexa Bliss and Asuka taking on Dakota Kai and Io Sky. It should be a very good match, but I think it would have been a better final. Though now that Toxic Attraction have been added to the mix, I wouldn't rule out the possibility of them winning the whole thing to further establish these tag titles. And maybe if Sasha and Naomi do come back, you already have a built-in storyline there to determine the undisputed champions. We'll also see the one-on-one -on -one match between Edge and Damian Priest. I have to imagine that this will end up resulting in some kind of angle to set up a match for the pay-per-view. Perhaps this is where Dominic Mysterio finally turns to the dark side? We'll see. I mean, he can't be a worse heel than he is a babyface, right? The NXT brand had their big heatwave event this past week, and while I did enjoy it for the most part, the in-ring portion anyway, there were a couple of little things that did annoy me. Firstly, I felt that the Roxanne Perez vs. Cora Jade match could have had a stronger build. I felt that they rushed right to the match almost immediately following the heel turn angle, and I think they could have held off on it, and maybe promoted it for a later event so that they could have built to it a little more, and made it mean something, so that they might have made invented the following TV special. Given the way it ended, which again was kind of abruptly, though considering the finish, I think they at least opened the door for the feud to continue, so hopefully they do a lot more with it in the coming weeks, because those two girls are undoubtedly the future of the business. Roxy, I think, always had the potential and looks the part of the underdog slash conquering babyface, while Cora has really come into her own and done a great job in further developing her heel character. So, great job by both ladies. But the main thing that got me on this show was the inclusion of NXT UK talent, particularly in the closing segment. Now, ordinarily, I wouldn't mind, but if you'll allow me to explain. I haven't been living under a rock. I know that the NXT UK brand is wrapping up tapings and will be merged with the North American brand until the European division launches. I get that, although it's still unfortunate that all those talents had to lose their jobs, but I'm sure many will be brought back at some point. But here's the thing. NXT UK is taped, while Heatwave was a live show. So by bringing Tyler Bate out with the UK title, you are basically telling your viewers that they don't have to watch the next two weeks of NXT UK. For those who aren't aware, Ilya Dragunov is out with an injury and there is an ongoing tournament to crown an interim champion on TV. I'm not really a fan of interim titles to begin with, but the tournament hasn't even concluded yet, and there is bait with the UK title two days before he just advanced to the semi-finals. That was a pretty dumb decision in my opinion, and I also wasn't so much a fan of just kicking JD McDonough, the former Jordan Devlin, to the side, while Braun immediately just goes into his next program, even though they're doing the World's Collide event over Labor Day weekend and don't have too much time to build to it. Also in two weeks is the AEW pay-per-view All Out. Wait, they do actually have a pay-per-view in two weeks, right? I'm not imagining that. Well, you wouldn't really know it if you strictly watch Dynamite. CM Punk vs. John Moxley to crown the Undisputed Champion was originally scheduled for All Out, but has now been booked for this coming week's episode of Dynamite. Why? This is one of the biggest matches you're going to make for your biggest pay-per-view of the year, and you give it away for free? Why even have pay-per-views? 
I mean, I've heard rumors that this is supposed to either lead to a stip match between these two at All Out, or MJF's big return to challenge CM Punk, but a two-week build is not enough to generate interest in a pay-per-view in my opinion, and especially one that you've had three months to build. One other frustrating thing with AEW is when they did this hot angle with Adam Cole and Red Dragon turning on the Young Bucks, but there's no follow-up. I know people always like to say, let it play out, but it's been like two or three weeks since that angle, and Cole, O'Reilly, and Fish, I don't believe, have been seen since. They're not even in the trios tournament, which I would have thought would be likely for them to face the Bucks and Kenny Omega in the finals. It might still be this way, but we'll see what happens. It's just so puzzling. I kind of mentioned Kenny Omega a little prematurely, but he is back and looked to be in fine form. I honestly believe that he's still working us and selling the injuries from last November, but I can't wait to see him in 100%. I don't think he works as a babyface though, especially with Don Callis out there, so it'll be interesting to see where this goes, and I would love to see him back in the title hunt at some point. I think Omega vs. Punk is the money match, and I'd book that maybe for next year's All Out, though they'll probably just end up doing it on Dynamite. Before switching gears and talking about last night's UFC card, I just want to briefly chat Impact Wrestling. The stage is set for this year's Bound for Glory event in October. It's Josh Alexander defending the Impact World title against Eddie Edwards. A very underwhelming match choice to say the least. Nothing against either guy because I'm sure it'll be a good match. I just think that they are not booked at the same level. The Honor No More faction has been handled terribly since their debut back in January, and Edwards has been awful on the microphone, so I don't know who decided that he should lead the group. I hope they do enough in the next month to generate interest, but I'm just not feeling it right now. But I was feeling last night's UFC event. It was an exciting night of fights with a couple of very surprising outcomes. The main card opened with a light heavyweight contest between Tyson Pedro and Harry Hunsucker. Pedro landed a stiff jab and then followed up with a front kick which hurt Huntsucker and allowed Pedro to swarm on him for the TKO. The women's bantamweights were out next as Lucy Pudilova dominated Wu Yanan from a full mount position in the second round and just dropped some heavy bombs on her for the second straight TKO. Jose Aldo returned to the octagon. He did get some of his famous leg kicks in there on Marab Davalashvili, but didn't do enough damage, and Davalashvili ended up walking away with the unanimous decision. And then we had a banger of a fight between Luke Rockhold and Paolo Costa. Rockhold got gassed very early. His jaw was almost on the floor, and he was noticeably just gasping for air and breathing through his mouth. But to his credit, he did end up going the distance and engaged in a brawl with Costa, even scoring with a few kicks to the body. In the end, it was Costa who ended up picking up the unanimous decision, but I think this one could have gone either way. And then in the main event, Leon Edwards challenged Kamaru Usman for the welterweight crown. I thought Edwards had a pretty good first round and actually managed to take Usman down. The announcers even noted that he, they hadn't seen that in a while. Usman just dominated the next three rounds, and just as it looked as he had victory well in hand, Edwards scored with a Hail Mary shot out of nowhere in the closing minutes of round 5. It was a swift kick planted under the chin which floored the champ, and we have a brand new welterweight title holder. I have to believe that this one is far from over, and I'd expect a rematch by the end of 2022. So there you have it. Plenty to still look forward to. I will be joined by some special guest co-hosts for the next couple of weeks. Until we meet again, I'll leave you with an ABC yacht.